Don't you love your staff? I tell you, I love coming be, to be here with you all, and I love interacting with those guys uh, during the week. And I would just tell you, I get an opportunity to speak in places <clears throat> across Georgia, particularly within an hour of where we are, and I don't know of a church anywhere that has a staff that loves their people and cares for you all by name like this one does. So I am grateful for them and, and surely praying for my friend Craig some difficult days that they've got. But I told them, uh, Elizabeth and I sent a video to Mr. Dale, you know, when you're in the hospital like that for a month and you can't see people, um, there is a, an emotional side to this whole pandemic that's just so difficult for those who are trying to recover. So we sent him a video and I just said, uh, hey man, we love you, we pray for him. And I just said, listen, you got to fight like somebody stole your Pop-Tart. Don't you give up. And I hope that you'll be praying for Mr. Dale as well. Well, listen, if 2020 taught us anything, is that we got to be ready. No matter what's going on, where you are, you got to be ready to give a defense for what you believe. You got to be ready for every circumstance. It's kind of like the story my grandfather told me. <coughs> These three guys walked up to the pearly gates and uh, came up to St. Peter. And he said, hey, I want to get into heaven. St. Peter, let me check your name. Tell me what happened. Why are you here? What got you here? First guy said, well, man, I you know, felt like my wife was being unfaithful. So one day I was supposed to be at work. Outside, I'd go home. So I'm looking throughout the house and I saw, you know, look in the pantry and I look in the living room and look in the bathroom go in the kitchen. I don't see a guy anywhere. I got so mad, I pushed the refrigerator over the balcony, had a heart attack, and died. Second guy came up, St. Peter said, man, what, what brings you here to the pearly gates? And he said, well, man, I, my grandmother lives on the first floor of an apartment complex. Y'all know where this is headed, don't you? And I go up, knock on the door, and boom, the refrigerator falls off the balcony, hits me in the head, kills me dead. Third guy walked up. St. Peter said, well, what brings you to the pearly gates? He said, man, all I know is I was just minding my business inside of a refrigerator, and uh, all of a sudden, poof, I'm here. Well, listen, you got to be ready, don't you? You got to know what's going on. You got to know what you believe. But listen, you got to know who you belong to. I want to share a passage of Scripture as we enter 2021 that's important for us. Because every believer has a call on their life. You know, some of us try to shirk that responsibility and we'll hire somebody to do it or we'll make excuses for different things. I want you to see a couple of different things. One is the call that's on our lives as a believer. And the second one is the commission that God has given to us as believers to go and make disciples. And then the third thing is going to be a crossroads that we're at that before you walk out of these doors, that before you turn off your television today, you've got a decision to make. You're at a crossroads, whether you're a non-believer or you're a believer. Turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, and we're going to start reading in verse 23. Great passage of Scripture, and you'll recognize this, many of you will, in Luke chapter 9. And this is the call that where Jesus is speaking. And it's important to remember 
as you're turning to this passage, that this call isn't to just a select group of people. He's talking to disciples. This message, this call is for all of us. For all of us who've trusted Jesus as Savior. Read with me. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it that a man, if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? Listen, the call on our lives as believers is two words. Follow me. Those two words were uttered a couple thousand years ago by Jesus and it changed everything. For a people who were looking for the Messiah, for a group that was having difficult times when Jesus said, follow me, it changed everything. Now here's the problem with American church. Many of us have accepted Jesus as Savior, but we don't want this whole lordship thing. We really like being in control. We really like the idea of when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. But listen, while I'm here, would you just let me live a little? I'll never forget when I was in New Orleans working on my doctoral process. Me and a buddy were walking down um, Bourbon Street there, and this lady pops out. Of course, she's half-dressed and grabs me by the arm with this bouncer guy with her, and I'll never forget what she said. I said, no, no, I don't need any of that. She said, hey, honey, just come live a little. I remember at the moment just thinking, like the personification of the devil, of the enemy grabbing my arm and literally said the words, hey, honey, come live a little. And just prompted by the Holy Spirit and being a public speaker, I looked back at her and I said, sweetheart, I don't want to live a little. I want to live a lot. And that's who I am as a believer. Listen to me, Christian. It's time for us to live. But if you are living underneath your circumstances, if you are not trusting the Lord in the middle of a pandemic, in a difficult situation, a job situation, difficult marriage, whatever, you're not going to truly live until you get to the point where you are absolutely dependent on the Spirit of God for all that you have. Well, here's what we know. The called are believers. And I want you to know before you go to sleep at night, I know that there are some who are watching in the comfort of your home, watching by television or maybe on your phone. I want you, everyone, to know when you go to bed tonight that Jesus is not just this historical figure that did great things, this prophet that the world recognizes. I want you to know Him as Savior. Listen, when we talk about that, there are many of us. How many of you would be honest with me today? And I'll be the first one to raise my hand right here. How many of you would be honest and say, there have been times in my life I have doubted whether or not I was a Christian. I've made a decision. I was baptized. Maybe I grew up in the church, whatever. But even after that, there were moments when, man, I just wasn't sure. How many of you would be honest and say you've doubted? Man, I did. I remember older high school as a young adult, just going through things, making poor decisions, sometimes even just in good time. Every time an evangelist would come to our church and share the gospel, I'd be like, oh, I'm going to hell. You know, I was just struggling with that. And I remember thinking at the time, God, I'll never be truly effective 
if I don't nail this down, I need to know that, that not just that you did this, but I've trusted you, that I've, I've done what Scripture says I need to do to be a Christian, that you've called me into a relationship. I need to know that I am secure and that it's real. Let me give you three things this morning. Because the called, if you're going to follow Him, you've got to know who you're following, but you've got to know that you've got that intimate relationship with Him. So let me give you three things that will help you. You can write this in your, in, the, in your Bible or on a notepad or get some mascara or lipstick and put it on the back of your neighbor's neck, whatever you need to do. But I want you to hold on to this because this can help you, but it also can help with your children, with the people around you, with your neighbor. Here's the first thing. Can you point to a moment? Romans chapter 10 says that if I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, that you'll be saved. You see, there's not, it's not just a head knowledge, right? It's not just, an, it's like the lady I talked to in the restaurant. Craig and I were eating lunch um, about three weeks ago, and we always, hey, we're going we're gonna to praise. Is there anything we can pray for you about? And Craig mentions, starts kind of talking about the gospel with her, and she's, oh, yeah, I'm a believer. I said, really? Well, when did you make that decision? Oh, I've been a believer my whole life since I was born. I've always believed in God. And I said, well, that's not what I asked. What, has there been a moment when you trusted Jesus as your Savior? And man, she was just like deer in a headlight. Because you see, it's not enough to just believe that Jesus is God. Do the demons in hell believe Jesus is God? You bet they do. Their fate has been sealed by the power of His blood. They know He's the Son of God. It's not enough just to have a head knowledge of who He is. There's got to be a moment when you trust Him and you ask Him to forgive your sins and give your control of your life to Him. Listen, has there been a moment that you can point to? Here's the second one. Can you see fruit? Galatians 5. The Bible says if you're a believer, people ought to see it. People ought to know it. The people who are closest to you, would they say that you are a believer by the way you act and speak? Here's the third thing. Have you heard from God? John chapter 8, 42 to 47. The Bible says that the reason you haven't heard from God is because you don't belong to God. And I'll never forget riding down the road. Anybody ever had anything stolen from you? I, I took my truck to the shop. I was in central Louisiana serving in the church for 10 years and took my, my truck to the shop. About four days later, man, I'm, I'm looking for my checkbook and I can't find that thing anywhere, Right? I was like, I don't know. I get in my truck. It's 6.30 in the morning. I'm, it's Tuesday morning, and I'm, I'm going to a prayer breakfast. And I'm telling you, I got in my truck, and just something in my spirit just said, hey, be aware of, of your surroundings today. I just like, it's just kind of weird, but I felt this in my spirit. So I get in my truck, go and get to the red light. You're not going to believe what happened. So I had gone to the bank, and they pulled up the security camera, and this guy... Um, Anyway, wrote a check. We saw what he looked like. Muscle shirt, big tattoo in his left arm. So I pull up to this red light, right? I'm sitting there being frustrated. I'm tired. I'm fixing to go eat me some biscuits and act like I want to pray. And I look over, and the same truck was beside me that was in the Walmart parking lot with the same guy with the same sleeveless shirt with the same tattoo on his arm. He is beside me at the red light. And I'm like... God, you're so cool. So I get on, I get on my phone, right? And I call the police and say, listen, don't, ch don't chase him. Well, we're coming. I said, what do you mean don't chase him? He dude stole my checkbook. So I did. I went a little bit. The police got on him. Of course, 
they lost him, and month a month later, you know, they caught him. He had stolen an 18-wheeler, too, and caught him in North Carolina. But isn't it cool that when you belong to God, listen, it was an audible voice. The ceiling didn't split open, and God said, Scott, if you'll look around you, I'm going to present the culprit. He didn't do that. It was a still, small sense in my spirit of just something was going on, right? Well, that's what happens when you know the Lord and then you are trying and then consistently walking with Him because the more you hear from God, the more you're able to recognize that still, sweet, small voice, right? But if you've never heard from God, if there's never been a prompting in your spirit to do something or to say something, then you need to ask serious questions because the Bible says the reason you haven't heard from Him is that you don't belong to Him. Well, the called are believers. And to choose Jesus as Savior also means you're going to choose Him as Master. There's this theological debate right now that a lot of people say, yeah, you can choose Him as Savior and then not live for Him, not have anything to do with Him, and you're just having fire insurance. I'm just telling you today, friends, that is not scriptural. It's not in the Bible that I'm going to trust Jesus as Savior, but my heart's desire is not to love Him and to serve Him. That's not in the Bible. So I want you to know, if you're a believer, it is our task and our joy and our privilege to serve Him and to live for Him. But also, the call requires a step of faith. You know, I told you the last time I was here, you know, our story of the house that we built and 16 acres. And we had to go back, time, a uh, chance to go back at Christmas, man. Killed a giant deer off the property around there. And, and I remember, you know, pulling up to the trail, you know, the house is up on this giant hill. And I just kind of walked like that. I didn't even want to look at it, you know. Go to the back. Had a great time, great Christmas with our family. But you know what the best example that I think of when I, when I talk about this issue of a step of faith? that God sometimes is going to ask us to do, that, that seems crazy or we don't understand, is my dad. You see, my dad, we grew up, he was a basketball coach. I don't know if you can tell that or not, but I was a basketball player, right? When you're 6'4", 160 pounds, soaking wet, that's about the only thing you can do in high school is play basketball. Well, he couldn't make any money being a basketball coach in Louisiana. So he went to sales. He was really good at it. Never met a stranger. So he was, began to sell, doing really well. Decided to start his own business. For three years, started that business. We lost everything, basically, that we own except for our house. Got to that third year, and his accountant, he went in doing taxes, and his accountant just said, Mr. Sullivan, if you don't turn a dollar this year as your friend and your accountant, you got to do something else. Like, you don't have any money in the bank. You've sold one of your cars. The only thing you have now is a car that you can do sales. Your family don't have any way to get around. You've got to figure something else if you don't turn a dollar. Third year, he made $27,000. Was able to start paying off the small business loan. He had, of course, that was the time when government didn't give you money to start, start small businesses, and you, know, you just had to break your back to do what you needed to do to get going. The, the same month, last September, when I moved to Georgia, my dad sold his business, and... When he sold it, he had 27 people working for him. And I remember those days. My friends call them the Beanie Winnie in the refrigerator days because they'd come over and there was never anything to eat. It was like ramen noodles. They're like, dude, is that all you eat is ramen noodles? I said, man, it's, we don't have any money to buy anything else, right? But I remember what my dad told me on one of those trips on the property I was telling you about. We went back to Christmas. He said, son, I'll just, I'll never forget that moment. Like, 
I started the business not to make more money. I started the business because I genuinely believed God was leading me to do it. Now, sure, I wanted our family to have more money. I wanted to be able to have a car where you guys could get to school or your mom could go to the grocery store. I wanted to be able to pay for y'all to go to college and all that sort of thing, but I was just started because God led me to do it. And that third year, and it was tough to do what God leads you to do knowing that you could utterly fail. Well, listen, the called at some point in your life are going to be asked to take a step of faith. It's what we do when we get saved. It's what we do when we follow the Lord. And it's what we did when my family moved to Georgia. Now, also the called are to deny themselves and give up the selfish ambitions. John chapter 3, verse 30 says this, He must increase and I must decrease. And I remember this even in my life when I was called to ministry. Austin Camp, in Austin, Texas, I remember God calling me you know, to ministry and that, that voice again. Of course, it was early in my life, and I didn't know what it was. I didn't know if I'd eaten too much hot sauce or if it was the Lord. I just knew there's something wasn't right in the worship service. So I, I go down, and I remember telling my buddy, Sean, I said, after the service, man, I was weeping. I said, Sean, I feel like God's calling me to ministry. And I know this may weird you out, and man, you, know, you may not even want to be with, you know, a guy that's called to ministry. And listen, I knew how you jokers treat preachers. So for me, feeling like God was calling me to ministry, I was like, God, I don't want to have nothing to do with that. Because like preacher's kids, they're terrible. You know, he's never home. Like the preacher, you know, our, our churches tend to feel like the preacher's the only guy who can pray with you when you're down. Or he's the only guy who can go visit you in the hospital when you're sick. You know, we, we hire him to do all the evangelism of the church. I, I knew how churches typically treated preachers. And I remember thinking, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And I remember that same voice in my spirit was like, Scott, it's not about you or your desires. I'm calling you to a task. I'm going to equip you for that. And if you don't love your family well, that's your fault, not mine. If you don't disciple people in the church to understand that it is their job to do the ministry in the church and the ministry in the community, and not just the pastor, that's your fault. Gosh, I just remember this denying self moment in my life that made all the difference in the world. We also know this, that the called must <clears throat> take up their cross and follow Jesus. Now for us, we think about that, the cross, this is serious business. For us, the, the cross is something we wear around our neck, You'll see them in people's yards. There's one right up the road here that's got a whole um, display to Mother Mary, and there's a cross, and people go in to pray. For us, it's a, it's a status symbol, or it's a fashion symbol. But you need to understand, when it says to take up your cross and follow me, for New Testament believers, that meant death. That's what the cross symbolized. It wasn't a status symbol. It wasn't something they would wear around their neck. When you talked about the cross, you were talking about people they knew who hung on a cross until they suffocated and died. So when Jesus says to take up your cross and follow me, he's not talking about a burden. Some people look at Jesus going to Golgotha and he's got this cross on his shoulders. And man, what a burden he was carrying. And we'll think about, man, the, the hangnail on our toe. And we're like, oh, it's a burden for me to carry. I'm going to take up my cross today and I'm going to serve the Lord even though my toe hurts. 
That's not what it is. The cross is a death sentence. It's a death symbol. So when Jesus says, take up your cross, he said, what he's talking about is you've got to be willing to die to everything, that everything else in your life is such a second place to who Jesus is as number one that it's like you're dying to. It's like it has no value at all. It's like when he talked about the family. You know, leave your father and mother and come. It doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love our family. It doesn't mean that you're not supposed to, to love your wife or to love your kids. It just means that your affections and your focus on Jesus should be such that everything else pales in comparison. You know what the number one, the best thing that you could do in 2021 is make Jesus the priority. That you would write it in your daytimer. That it would be a pop-up on your screen. That it would be on a sticky on the front dash of your car. That it would be in your work. That you put it on a mirror in your bathroom. That Jesus is number one. And listen, I ain't going to say that I am second. I would say put Jesus number one and I am third. Because we are such a selfish people. That's who we are. So when we take up our cross and to follow Jesus, that means with reckless abandon, completely dependent on Him, it's making Jesus number one. Well, listen, the call in our life is this. is two words. Follow me. That's the call for believers. For 2021, but it was also the call in 2020. It's to follow Jesus. It's to make Him number one. One, and he'll care for all of our needs when we do that. Here's the commission. I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter 28 now. Now, you'll recognize this. Those of you who grew up in the church, you'll recognize we call it the Great Commission. Now, in the Great Commission, there's also that last piece of that is what I call the Great Promise. But I want to point out four words in here that as a believer, you need to know them. The four verbs that are used in this passage that give us the commission. And there's one word, it's like a puzzle. And you put those four words together, but there's one word that's the command. There's one word that is the most emphatic thing that's in this passage of Scripture. You need to know what it is because it is the commission. It is your task as a believer in the local church. Matthew chapter 28, starting verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. Isn't that amazing that the same disciples who walked with him, slept beside him, ate with him, camped with him, saw him do miracles. He just was raised from the dead and they saw him and it says some of the disciples doubted. Is that not amazing? Like how much more proof can you see, get than physically with him after the resurrection? Right? It makes me feel better. That may be weird, but you know, there are still times in my life when I struggle. And I don't doubt that God is real. I don't even doubt that God loves me. But sometimes I look around and I'm just like, God, where are you? Like, God, if I were you, I'd strike that guy dead. If I were you, man, I would just like snap my fingers and that'd be gone. It makes me feel better that the disciples who walked with him doubted. But I want you to see something. He doesn't leave them with doubt, and He doesn't leave us either. Keep reading in this passage of Scripture with Him. Because it says, Then Jesus came to them. Now, catch this. This is an incredible next few words. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, Jesus says out loud, 
All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, if you're a believer, where does that Spirit of God live? The Bible says that when you become a Christian, he, he comes to indwell you. He lives in you. And if Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth and he lives in you, that means not a pandemic. That means not another ruler, not another country, not another crazy neighbor can take you down, can overwhelm you. There's nothing too big for our God who lives in you of access to all authority in heaven and earth. And that's what he was saying to the disciples, and it's what he's saying to us as well. Look at verse 19. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I have commanded you. And then the great promise is that surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Let's work through these four words. The first one is go. We cannot stay where we are and go with God. You can't do it. The Christian faith, our relationship with Jesus is a forward momentum building relationship. He is going to lead you to take steps forward. And we have excuses. And I can't go. I'm too old or I'm too young. I have physical ailments. Had a little back surgery. Left side of my foot is still numb. So I mean, I shouldn't be able... Maybe tomorrow we put things off. We say no. We have all of these excuses. If you were to come to my office at the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, you'll walk in and you'll see on on this printout paper, not professional, not nice, and it says, don't make excuses, make a way. Because I'm so tired of believers and organizations when we throw out crazy ideas or say, let's storm hell with a water pistol, and all we hear is 727 reasons why it won't work. I know all the reasons why it won't work, but what we did in the past ain't working. I'm not doing that anymore. So we're going to do something new. If we fail, guess what? We'll punt and try something different. But listen, stop making excuses for why you can't do stuff or where you can't go or why things are not the way they should be with your wife or your children. Pray. Access the Spirit of God, the power and the authority that's there, and then live that out. That's what a lost world needs to see. They don't need to see us whimpering in the corner, making excuses for the rest of the churches who aren't doing what they should. So we got to go. The second one is to make. And the, the word there is to make disciples. It is what we do. Listen, this is the task of the local church. Why do you come here? It's to glorify a risen Savior by making disciples. And listen, I've said this to you when I was here last in July. The greatest failure of the Southern Baptist Convention is our inability to replicate ourselves. We are not making disciples. We are making converts. We are getting people saved. But we, are, we stink at bringing people alongside them to teach them, to mentor them, to disciple them, and then to raise them up to replicate the gospel seed that was shared with them. We're not doing it. In Ivory Creek, I don't care how many buildings you build on this campus. If you don't make disciples, you are failing. That's your task. You've got to figure out, you've got the best staff, you've got some money, now you've got to put the effort into it. Every single person in this room has got to share Jesus with people. You have to, are they going to be saved? That's not your task. 
Your job is not to save them. Your job is to give Jesus to people early and often. Well, we got to go. we got to make disciples. But what does that look like? Let me give you an example. A guy named Blake was one of my students when I was in student ministry. So when I would go to the hospital, I would take people with me. When I go preach at the prison, I would take people with me. I was going to prison one day to preach like we did last Sunday of every month. And so I caught Blake that morning. He was, a, he was a kid, you know, just good kid, younger, ninth grade. And you say, hey, anybody want to pray? And he's like, yeah. I mean, he wasn't afraid of anything, but just no spiritual maturity. He said, yeah. So he comes with me, goes to the prison. Man, I'm preaching. I'm just giving them, giving them the devil up there. Sixteen inmates come up front. They get saved. Just big old tattoo-wearing, built, just steroid-induced guys up here in the front, weeping, asking Jesus to save them. The last person in line was Blake. So I'm just thinking, where well, I don't know if he's like wanting to go to prison or if he's just like trying to be part of the crowd or if he was going to try to counsel one of these big old guys. I don't know what was going on. So after service, I went to his Hey, Blake, I saw you was down front. Uh, I mean, it's cool, but was there a reason? He said, yeah, man, I got saved today. Like, you've been in church like your whole life. What are you talking about? You just got saved. He said, man, like I've always believed. You asked me, do I believe in God? Yes. Do I love Jesus? Yes. If you were going to ask me if I'd give my life for Jesus, I would say yes. But like there's, you talked about a moment when I trust him, a moment when I ask him to forgive me. I've, I've never prayed a prayer and asked Jesus to forgive my sins. I just grew up in the church. Gosh, and I remember just thinking at the moment, I said, God, what am I doing as a leader in the church if a kid can grow up in the church his whole life and think he's going to heaven because he knows all the language, but there's no relationship with Jesus. So he got saved. I'm talking about radically saved. I'm talking about storm hell with a water pistol saved. So I just spent time after Wednesday night Bible study. He'd ask questions. You know, he'd call me on the phone. We'd meet. Uh, he was a basketball player. I was chaplain, so we'd be on road trips, and we just talked, and he would share Jesus. And I said, well, you can't punch him in the mouth. You just got to share, and you got to be nice. Went through this whole thing for two and a half years, right? Graduates high school, goes to college. Third year of college, you know, I hear from him, hey, man, I just got a job. I said, really, where are you working? You know, Chick-fil-A, that's the Christian place to work, right? He said, no, I'm a youth minister at Westside Baptist Church in Natchitoches. I said, a youth What? As a youth minister, I said, man, is, are you just like filling in or is God? He said, yeah, I feel like God's calling me to serve in ministries. It's kind of weird because it's not really what my degree is. He began to serve, finish his graduates college. Six months after graduating college, I hire him as our middle school minister. Continue to spend time with him. He gets his master's degree while I'm there. You know what Blake's doing now? He's getting his doctoral degree in next-gen ministries where he's going to help Churches all over the world understand how to connect with, reach, and disciple the next generation and help connect parents who weren't discipled with children and young adults who need to be discipled and figure it out. Because if you don't know this whole process, that's a failure in the church, right? Parents discipling. Because should I be the number one discipler of your, your kids? Should Craig Dale or Will or... Uh, Dave or any of those guys, should they be the disciples of your kids? Praise the Lord that they're investing. Should Caroline Day be the only person who's discipling your kids? 
No, parents, that's your job. As a disciple maker, do you know where you start as a disciple maker? You start with your family. Your family is the number one place that you make disciples, and then you serve in your church. Then you disciple and you reach people in your neighborhood in that way. Listen to me, friends. This is so important. We're not going to make excuses. We're going to make disciples. And here's the third word. It's baptize. And sometimes we gloss over that. There may be people watching or in this place today who genuinely made a decision to trust Jesus as Savior but never got baptized. And listen, I have met people who physically, I guess I would say mentally, have an issue with going under the water. Like she said, Brother Scott, I want to be baptized, but like, I think I'm going to have a heart attack if you put me under the water. And we worked through it. We found a way to do it. We eased into that whole thing. But listen, I know that there are people that that's legitimate issues. Friends, listen to me. Baptism identifies you with the church. When you get baptized into the, to the church here at Ivy Creek, you're agreeing with what they teach, what they believe about the Bible. You're identifying with that church as a Christian. You know what else you're doing? You are witnessing, you are proclaiming to a lost world, I love Jesus and I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am a believer. That is, a pro, that is your public proclamation to the world. We can't get away from baptism. But listen, the next step from there is, is the biggest failure when it talks about teaching. Because you know what we're good at in the church? Like if I looked at your roles and I talked to Dave, he and I are intimately connected in what I do at the convention. I know that you guys are baptizing people. I know that there are people getting saved regularly at this church. You look at the Southern Baptist Convention. We've, we've seen and baptized 7.1 million people in the last 20 years in zero increase in attendance. We're good at getting people saved. We're good, decent, I should say, at evangelism, but we stink at teaching them, at discipling them. We stink at mentoring. We've got to do that in the local church. We've got to go. We've got to make disciples. We need to baptize them, but then we need to teach them in an ongoing relationship what it means to be a Christian and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, you should know that we're losing that battle. From, 99, from 1990 to 2000, in that 10-year period, American churches declined by 5 million people when the population went up by 24 million people. You don't live in a Christian America anymore. And particularly, unless you live in a closet, Georgia is not a Christian state. The people that are moving here in droves are not believers. Listen, we talk about, man, going across sea, go to India, go to China, share Jesus. I hope you'll do that. But you need to know that God's bringing the nations to you. They live next door to you now. And it is our task to share Jesus, build a relationship, and to love them. We're at a crossroads. Just like Paul was, rode to Damascus when he had to make a decision. If you're here in this place today and you have never trusted Jesus as Savior, today is the day of salvation. If you're watching at home, or maybe you just clicked on, or maybe one of these sweet members said, hey, you ought to view one of our services. I want you to know that this is a divine appointment for you. That God wants you to know Him as Savior. He wants to forgive your sins. And I'll give you a great example of how that happened to me recently. 
So I'm sitting in my house. A couple of people in our office got sick with COVID, so they shut the whole building down. So I'm 10 o'clock. I'm, I'm on the phone doing an interview. I'm looking out of our sunroom, and my yard bubbles up. I mean, like the literally the saw just bloop, 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 just like it like a mushroom, just explosion, and the water just began to f- flush down the street. I, I literally saw it happen. So I'm like, um, let me call you back. I don't know if we just got bombed by the Russians or whatever, but my yard just blew up. So I get out, go outside and look, and man, my pipe busted. It wasn't freezing, 60 degrees outside. This is, I don't know, four weeks ago, five weeks ago. So I turn it off, so I call the plumber, uh, the guy who does our sprinkler system. So he came out and he, he's, he's working. I said, yeah, it'd probably take me two, two and a half hours. It costs such and such money. All right. Well, he turned that two and a half job into a day and a half job, right? Long story, not part of the point. But as he's trying to fix it, I'm talking to him. I said, hey, yeah, man, here's what I do. And go to church anywhere. And man, if you were to die tonight, do you know where you would spend eternity? He said, man, I believe in God, absolutely. He said, yeah, yeah, like uh, I'm I'm Catholic. I don't don't ever go to church. We went a couple of times when I was kids, but... But I absolutely believe in God. Matter of fact, every night when I go to, go to bed, man, I, I'm just grateful. That's kind of my prayers. I'm just grateful. And I said, well, can I share with you what the Bible says on how a person can be saved? He's like, yeah. So he's down there working. And I said, well, you know, Romans 3.23 says that we're all sinners. Like, you know, not, not to say anything just negative about you, but, man, I'm, I got a wicked heart. And it, it just comes natural. I have sin in my life. And and so do you. He said, yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I said, 6.23, Romans 6.23 says that the wages of our sin is death and the free gift of God is eternal life. I said, you know what a wage is? He said, well, yeah, I'm working in your front yard. I said, well, that's exactly right. When you finish, by the way, you're not getting paid until you finish, but when you finish this, you're going to get a wage. And, and you're going to get that because you earned it. You worked for it. I said, but the cool thing about the gospel, it says that you're, the wages of your sin, because you sin, is you're going you're to spend eternity in a place that we call hell. It's eternal separation from God. You don't want to go there. I said, but you know what the gift of God is? The second part of that verse? It's Jesus. So the Bible says he's provided a way that if you trust him with your lives, you ask him to forgive the sin because the, you see, it's you and it's heaven. Jesus, and in the middle is this big wall of sin. I said, bro, you can't get through sin to get there. So God provided Jesus to crush that wall so you could have a relationship with God and go to heaven. I said, have you ever made that decision? I'll call him Bill. Bill, have you ever made that decision? He said, well, I mean, never like out loud just made a decision. I'm telling you, I believe in God, bro. I believe in God. I said, man, it ain't just believing that God is real. You got to trust him. And then I went through Romans 10. They said, if you confess through your mouth and believe in your heart, and I said, it's not just head knowledge. There needs to be a moment when you ask Jesus to forgive your sins and save you. And listen, he got so emotional while he's working on pipes, he had to go take a 15-minute break, went on the backside of the truck and just hung out for a little bit. He he wasn't taking a smoke break. He just went over and had to gather his composure. Holy Spirit of God was on him as thick as I've ever seen it. So I sent some texts to some of my buddies. I mean, would you just pray for Bill God wants that dude to be saved today. You know what's interesting about Bill? He's got stage four cancer. He's dying. And he's taking experimental meds. The only reason he was alive 
And I asked him, I said, man, why, why would you work when you're dying? He said, man, I am not sitting at the house and spend my days and just shrivel up on a couch. I'm going to work. My family goes to school. My wife works. I ain't sitting at home. I'm going to work as long as I can. Man, I respected that. Finished the deal. He finishes, and he's getting ready to give. I give him a check. And I said, Bill, man, just one more time. Would you be interested in trusting Jesus as Savior today? And he looked at me, and he said, I'm not ready. The response to a holy God when you know that you're a sinner, when you know that you're doomed to a devil's hell, should never be maybe later. Today is the day of salvation. If today, if You've been thinking about that. Or maybe you're, you know, we went through this whole doubting deal and, and you're wondering that. Listen, Dave and I would love, he's going to be in this corner, I'm going to be in that corner. We would love to talk more with you about just to work through those scriptures. Because listen, I'm not trying to talk to you into anything today. I don't get any, if you don't get, nobody gets saved today, I don't get anything out of it. I'm going to go home, I'm going to love my wife, and the kids and I are going to go play, you know, guns and robbers in the front yard and have a blast this afternoon. But I'm telling you, if the Holy Spirit of God is drawing your heart to himself today, then you need to make a decision. You are at a cross. So he's given you the call. He's given all believers the commission to make disciples. Now you need to make a decision. Would you stand with me? As the folks in the sanctuary standing this morning, maybe you're watching by television, social media broadcast, and I just want you to know I do think it's a divine appointment that you're watching. And I would love to share more with you. This church is a sweet gospel-oriented church that you will fit. There is a place for you here. And if you want to know more, drop a comment below and, and let them know how they can contact you so they can, you can know more about your salvation, about having a relationship with Jesus. And know if you died tonight that you'd be able to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. And for those of us in this congregation, I'm going to close in a word of prayer. And my challenge for you for 2021, it's what Jesus said. Follow me. You know, we have these things we do a lot of times. When we start a new year, and we say, man, my word for 2020 is, you know, disruption. My word for 2021 is going to be peace or joy. My word, whatever it's going to be in your life, we have these things. We're going, to, we're going to live this out. There is not a better phrase for you to follow in 2021 than simply saying, I will follow you, Lord Jesus, wherever you lead, wherever you ask me to do, whatever you ask me to be, I will follow you, making him number one in everything that you do. Let's pray. God, we're grateful this morning for your word that just gives us direction. There are days we wake up, Lord, and it just seems so dark that we wonder how we're going to get by or survive. But Lord, we trust you. We're so grateful for your word that says you, all, you have all authority in heaven and earth. So God, we claim that today. We thank you for your spirit living in us as believers. For those who are not believers, those who are doubting their salvation, God, may they nail that down today. For those of us who are believers in this room, we commit now, Lord, to make you Number one in 2021, 
So much so that everything else in our lives would pale in comparison. We trust you with it all in Jesus' name.